they're like laughing so hard and you're just like I, I don't I don't know and they're like it's okay you know you just had to be there and you're like yeah but was it you know poor Thomas you know like we have no idea where he was he's definitely not at the right place at the right time and when he responds to the disciples trying to like tell him about these experiences he gives voice to this skeptic that's inside all of us, and he says, well, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. But there's a problem, because believing, or the problem is that seeing is not believing. We know this for all the times that we've been shown these, like, unbelievable products at the mall kiosk, you know, or um, if someone tells you something crazy that happened, you're like, well, do you have a picture, you know? No pic, it didn't happen. Right? But then if they show us the picture, we're like, yeah, I wonder how much that was photoshopped. We wonder, like, what's the catch every time we hear something? Everything around us is marketed to us, so you have to kind of come into everything with that skepticism. We um, scroll, I scroll through Instagram feeds, you know, and they're like picture perfect, and we think, like, I wonder what their life is really like. And then, then, can we talk about the process of just trying to find reliable information in the world anymore? It's its own process, right? Like there's conspiracy theories, there's fake news, there's media bias and personal bias and alternative facts. And like, it's this whole long process. And then if you even arrive at actual information, that information can then get distorted or be incomplete. So we just, we're like taught more than ever to question everything. And I don't know necessarily that, that that is bad. So I found this list. <laughs> you guys will love this. Um, I found this list of unbelievable but apparently true facts. And, and they're pretty awesome. Um, Mike the chicken, okay? Mike the chicken lived for 18 months without his head. Just, just let that simmer for a minute. Yeah. 18 months without his head. Uh, Iran arrested 14 squirrels on suspicion of espionage. <laughs> there was a, an emu war, apparently. There was an emu war in 1932 between emu birds and the Australian army. And the emus won. <laughs> True story. A ball of glass will bounce higher than a ball of rubber. This one's sad. The founder of Mash.com lost his girlfriend to a guy she met on Mash.com. Uh, a cloud typically weighs 1.1 million tons. A cloud? A cloud. 1.1 million tons. Lobsters do not naturally die, nor do they die, nor do they age. So they don't die or they don't age. Yeah, they're just very tasty. They're so tasty that it, you know, it works out. Uh, from the time it was discovered to the time it was denounced as a planet, Pluto did not even get to complete an orbit around the sun. Uh, Betty White was actually born before sliced bread. And can openers were invented 48 years after cans. What? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I know all of you are like, I don't know about. Uh, Michaela would have survived. Yeah. You're like yeah. Ashley. <laughs> they revealed this morning that they didn't have a can opener and used to open cans in their apartment with knives. Um, I have actually so. done that on multiple occasions. Yes. Yes. Way to level up. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, so, you guys, because it is. Holy Humor Sunday, and because this story is like so super relevant to the passage, I am going to share with you about raw. Okay, now this is really a big deal because there are rules to raw, and the first rule of raw is that we don't talk about raw, and we don't explain raw, because raw just happens. Okay, so I'm going to help you. It's Capital R, capital A, capital A. Okay, raw. Now this was this was born out of um, my friend Emily, and so she's sitting in her gym- gymnasium right at school. They're doing this like all school assembly, and they're talking about random acts of kindness, and they're talking about how these random acts of kindness are going to change the world, and we need to do these random acts of kindness. And she's sitting there, she's thinking about it, and she says, "Well, I mean, I I think." Kindness is great, but I think the world needs more awkwardness. And I think really we need random acts of awkwardness to change the world. And so she leaves from this assembly newly enlightened. And and of course, like, where to spread this but your church friends? And so she goes to her church friends and she says, we're going to change the world with random acts of awkwardness. And it's going to be called bra. And it's just... It's just going to be great. And so we don't really know where it started. We don't know how the ball got rolling or the momentum built. But by teen camp, okay, it was in full swing. <laughs> and I can give you some examples of raw. It's kind of hard to explain. There were classic raws. Okay, now we're always like looking for opportunities where raw can happen. But there's classic raws too that can just happen anywhere at any time. And I would commission you to like hear these and, and go forth with them, okay? But um, classic raw would be walking up to someone, always a stranger, okay, always a stranger, and asking for a Q-tip. <laughs> there would be no affect. I mean, you can't have affect in raw. You just have to, you know, that's part of the awkwardness. So you would say to someone like, I really need a Q-tip. Do you have a Q-tip? <laughs> You know, but a stranger. And, and people don't often have Q-tips on hand, but it's always worth asking. Uh, you know, if you see someone sitting on a bench, another classic raw would be, you know, the social norm that you would, you know, provide a bit of space between if you were to share the bench. Um, we would just eliminate that social norm and go and share the bench in, in a closer proximity. But of course, you would not speak, you know, or acknowledge. You would just sit and share. Um, there were there's often road cones involved in various ways, uh, creatively, in raw. Um, another really great one that actually is embodied by Jesus in this text is that we would go up behind people very, very close and just breathe in such a way that they could <laughs> like, feel it on their neck, you know, which Jesus did. So, you know. Um, occasionally there would be singing, occasionally, um, always in a group and always directed only at one person. <laughs> Typically, someone that a member of the group kind of had, you know, some interest in, but we would sing collectively and then disperse, 
<laughs> nothing else would be said. Um, we would yell Eggy, and then everyone would go like this. Okay, so let's practice. Eggy! <laughs> hey, look at that, that was beautiful. Ryan, not participating, I saw that. Yeah, Eggy was a thing. Eggy actually was born out of NYC, Nazarene Youth Convention, another one of those things. Um, but one of my favorites was, <laughs> this one's funny to me, um, at TNT actually, top Nazarene talent, all of these really awkward, you know, church events we do with weird acronyms, but TNT happened, and at TNT during their award ceremony is a massive amount of people, and they read your name, and you, like, they don't wait for you to come up there because it's just too many people. So it's like, you know, boom, 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 boom. And people are going up and they're getting stuff and they're leaving and people are freaking out, waving flags. And, you know, it's like this crazy thing, right? Well, so we're sitting there at the award ceremony at TNT and we hear the name announced, Shamisha. <laughs> and we're like, what? Shamisha? Like, that's the coolest name ever. Like, that's so fun to say, okay? So from that experience, we started in large crowds saying, Shamisha, Shamisha, we've lost you, Shamisha, Shamisha, where are you? All the time, everywhere, the whole next year or two. You know, it just became this, this thing we would do whenever we were together, which was often at district events. We had no idea who Shamisha was, we just knew that the name was amazing, and so we would yell it and look for Shamisha. Well, one day... <laughs> One day I'm at Trevecca as a college student, and I'm sitting in the hub, and I'm at this table with Kevin and a few other people, and this guy comes up, and he introduces himself, and he's like, hi, yeah, I'm, I'm Sean Meshaw. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're Sean Meshaw? <laughs> he's like, yeah, and I'm like, do you ever remember hearing your name, yelling crowds, he's like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry about that. We just really liked your name. We actually had no idea who you were, and this is really awkward, and I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, it was raw, you know. I'm like, I'm so sorry, and he's like, it's okay. You know, it was kind of weird, and I wasn't even sure who you guys were, but, you know, it's, it's all good. So anyway, raw. Raw just happens. We don't talk about raw, and we don't explain raw. Raw just happens. And raw is really a hard thing to, like, explain, you know? Like, you just kind of have to experience raw. You all like, are you inspired? And then when you experience it, you're like, that was raw. <laughs> <laughs> so now to tie that into the text. And uh, I was going to, like... Make this cool joke with Carly, you know, about space dogs and Corinthians, but she's not here, so I can't. So I don't know if we're recording. Carly! Uh, but, you know, it's we, anyway, you just had to be there. So, anyway. <laughs> so, Thomas, back to Thomas. So, when he says, I'll believe it when I see it, um, that response actually is a little deeper than that. He actually wants more than just seeing. He wants more than just an explanation. He wants to actually experience the body of Christ. And this is what he says. He says, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, I put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. 
I just thought of that. That's really gross, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, side thing. Like, I wonder if this is like when you, like when you tell your kids, like, if you do this, then I'll do this, but you say it because you don't think they're actually going to do it. Right? And then they do it, and then you're like, oh, did I say that? <laughs> you know? Anyway. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So those words, I will not believe, and the Greek is actually really um, exceptionally strong language. It's kind of like this, um, this ultimatum of sorts, like a really strong ultimatum. And the book of John is full of these, like we've been hearing them over the last several weeks because we've been in John for so long, but um, these moments where somebody is told about Jesus, but then they need more, they feel skeptical, and they're looking for evidence. A few weeks ago we talked about when Philip found Jesus, and then he goes to tell Nathaniel, and he says to Nathaniel, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And then we have the Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at the well, and she says to Jesus, sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you even get that living water? Or Mary, who responds to the angel at the tomb announcing that Jesus is alive. She says, she says sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where he is. I will go and get him. So no one really has room to criticize Thomas, right? No one has room to criticize him for needing more, and we relate to that. And what Thomas was needing was actually not more people telling him that this was real. He didn't need evidence. He actually didn't need proof. Because even if Thomas could conclusively agree that Jesus had somehow, some way, risen from the dead, that on its own is not a statement. Of belief. It's not a declaration of faith. What Thomas needed is for Jesus to meet Thomas in his own tomb. This dark, locked room. It's night, and they're hiding in fear. What we need is for Jesus to show up when it is night, and to show up when facts and evidence and even witness, is not enough. We need to encounter him ourselves. And when we do, when we do really encounter Jesus, it's like we realize for the first time just how dead we actually were. And we didn't feel dead, right? Like maybe we actually felt quite fine. There were enough distractions in our life to, um, you know, help us to not think about this life, this abundant life that he talks about, whether or not this is what it should be like and this is what it should feel like. We live a life that's governed by survival and a life that's governed by fear. And I wonder, like, when we think abundant life, like, what is our image of that? You know, like, do we think of ourselves, like, surrounded by our family, at the beach, with like everything we need, a nice house, a reliable car, not excessive, but just good and comfortable. And, you know, it's abundant, so maybe we don't have just what we need, maybe we have some of what we want, and it's just good, and you just breathe deep, and you're constantly saying like, life's so good, and, you know, like, is that the abundant life that we think of? And then I just have to wonder, like, 
okay, like think of that and think of the feeling that you imagine if that's kind of that image of abundance for you or culturally, like, well, that'd be pretty great, actually. If we could live like that, man, that would feel pretty good. But what if abundant life, like that doesn't even like rate on the scale? You know what I mean? Like, what if living life to the fullest and actually being full of life actually feels so much deeper and more real and more amazing than that? Right? Like, that's kind of hard to think about. When Jesus breathes onto the disciples, it was so raw, right? Breathing onto the disciples. We don't really talk about the awkwardness of Scripture, but... But it happens, and, and it's not just awkward, it's like something happened when it happened, right? He breathes, and the Holy Spirit comes, and he sends them out. And the image there is the same image that we see in Genesis, when God creates man, and then he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And it's the same image that we see in Ezekiel, when he stands before the valley of the dry bones, and God breathes life into these dead, dry bones, and they start to rattle, right? And they start to shake, and then they start to assemble, and then they flesh out into this full, living, and breathing army. And here, the disciples who, they're there gathered on the night of Easter, right? They've been told that Jesus is alive, but they're gathered in this dark, locked space, and they're afraid. But they're rattled, right? Like something is happening inside of them, but they're yet to be moved. And so Jesus comes, and he encounters them, and he says, I am sending you just as the Father sent me. So that's kind of confusing because eight days later, it's like, wait, but, you know, they're still there. They're still there in the same room. The doors are closed. I thought they just got, like, sent. I thought they were supposed to go. I think one of the hard things about stepping into, um, like, the church, right, it's us. It's hard to step into us with our questions, with our doubts, and with our fears. It's hard to step in and not have answers. It's hard to step in and not be tempted to just put on the good face and, you know, kind of be what we hope to be. It's hard to be in process. What he said, what Jesus said, is that he came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. And it's not an ad for a product you need. It's not like a, a five-step self-help to a better life. But it's relationship, right? It's pretty radical. Uh, Thomas, so Thomas journeyed this kind of cool journey step that we, we can really relate with, right? He goes from unbelief and then he journeys through conditioned faith, and he makes it to an unconditional acceptance, right? 
So unbelief through conditioned faith to an unconditional acceptance. So what is conditioned faith? It's, it's like in the word, right? It's faith that relies on certain conditions. So it's saying like this is true so long as it looks like this, right? This is true as long as it looks like this. Thomas was not rejecting that resurrection was possible, right? But he was insisting that the risen body of Christ would fulfill his requirements. And you can't escape like the mystery to it. Seeing is not believing, but there is no believing without seeing. It's kind of very like Richard Rohr, you know, like something about that step of belief gives us eyes to see and encounter God in ways that, that we would not otherwise. So wrapping up, where are you in this story? When you think of this story, Jesus coming to the disciples, encountering them, them going out, telling Thomas, Thomas's super real, relatable response, Jesus coming back, seeing Thomas. Where do you find yourself in the story? Are you rattled? You know, maybe you have encountered Jesus, you have encountered God, you have even declared that he is Lord, but you're still somehow, some way in this tomb. You still don't feel the full breath of life in you. And maybe it's, it's the sending out part that is so terrifying, or maybe it's that you've already kind of been clued into like the kingdom of heaven is, is pretty upside down, and like upside downing your life is, you know, that's, that's kind of a hard thing to, to walk into. You're not, you're not sure if you're ready. But something's happening, right? You're rattling. You're sitting in the discomfort of anticipation. You're open, and, and you're ready to, to breathe deeply and feel that life filled in you. Are you, are you doubting? Are you like, Thomas is my guy, like I relate with him. This is exactly how I feel. I don't need to be told anymore. I actually don't even need more evidence. I just want to encounter God. Like, where do I get that? And maybe as you're waiting for one of those encounters, you're looking around and you're thinking like, I don't know. Like, maybe it's just this emotional hype. Maybe it's something people are putting in their head. You know, what is real? What is not real? Maybe the religious and spiritual people in your life or your encounters with the church have been hurtful and harmful. You know, maybe those people are still in the tomb and they're still living out of fear and self-preservation and out of that, they've hurt you. Maybe you thought, well, following Christ is, is going to look like this. And you're not sure that you see that in people. You're not sure that that's what is consistently your experience with the body of Christ. Or maybe in this story, you're like, I feel
feel alive. You know, like I feel like it's, maybe I'm doing it scared. Maybe it's messy and feels really incomplete, but, but it's relationship. And it feels like God breathing life and it feels like this dance. And I feel alive. At the end of the passage that we read today, not the end, almost the end, Jesus says to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Because maybe it's not about sight. Maybe... It is really about encountering and experiencing, which we find in that like relationship, right? The relationship calls us into this experiencing and encountering of God. All right, let's pray. God. mysterious to us. We are full of wonder over your love and your mercy. And it's hard to believe sometimes that you have gone to such lengths that we could be reconciled to you. To have this like, very real relationship with you and to encounter you, experience you. I'm so thankful to step into this story, to be considered yours. I'm thankful for your love that compels me. And God, I think about how, I think about how every person that has walked this earth has looked heavenward and felt the awareness that there's something bigger happening, this awareness that you are there. And this story is about you finding us and us encountering you. God, I feel like I have so much to learn and so much to unlearn. And I'm still seeing what it is that your kingdom looks like. God, your love is humbling and sometimes it's unbelievable. God, breathe into us life that propels us out of the tomb, creating us something new. Meet us in our fear and our doubts and our questions. Give us eyes to see the ways that you are making yourself known to us. And give us eyes to see the things that distract us from the most important things. Things that are moving us through life, but not to life. May we call to question our conditioned faith and wonder over the life that we may find in dying to ourselves. We love you, Lord.